Spreading love all over the globe. It's the Vibe Show Podcast with your boy Kano the Don, the Vibe King. And today we have a special guest joining us on the show today. Filmmaker, founder, and CEO of D Street Media Group, the one and only Mr. Dexter Davis. How you doing, Mr. Davis? I'm good. I'm good, man. Sorry for the little delay, but uh, I'm well today out here in uh, California. Oh, man, we are all good. We all good. I want to take time, man, to thank you for taking time out of your super busy schedule. I know you're a very busy man to actually take time out to just join us today, man, to chime in with us a little bit, man. I, this is this is really a treat for my uh, for my listeners. And I really want to uh, thank you for me and the vibe team. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Good to be here. Now, this is amazing, man. Um, you actually begin your career in the business at the at the tender age of 21 my thing is did you always have that vision before 21 and then you decided to pick it up then or what were you doing before um you actually got into the business drinking <laughs> just kidding i'm kidding uh, <laughs> um no i um i actually started out thinking about being sort of in front of the camera and uh so i was um majoring in theater arts uh i had taken drama and dance and uh choir and piano and everything sort of artistic and um, but while I was doing that, uh, in high school, I was also putting things together and I just didn't have uh, a word for it. Um, but I was basically producing and it wasn't until my sophomore year in college that I decided that, uh, I actually, I read a book and, uh, thought that that book should be made into a film. And, uh, three months later I saw the trailer for that, uh, for that film and it was kind of prophetic. And, right. and I thought, you know what, I think I probably would be better at, uh, you know, being a filmmaker than, uh, you know, dancing or you know, being in drama, which I wasn't that good at, but right. worked really hard just to kind of fake it. But, uh, yeah, so that's, it was, it was basically my sophomore year in college. And I, I, I figured out that what I wanted to do was really produce, um, sort of started to work my way to you know, making that happen. Wow. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And then um, you, you, you took it a step farther and you formed your own production company that um, organizes fundraising events uh, for a nonprofit. Was that always the, um, the vision, too, when it came down to um, the financial aspect of um, financially supporting your vision? Um, I think probably not because um, I didn't really know um, how to, you know, I was living in San Francisco at the time and, you know, LA is only about an hour away, but it could have been Mars in terms of how different, uh, the, the regions were. And so, and particularly at that time, uh, there was not a lot of narrative filmmaking going on. So I had no idea how to get into the industry. So I started this production company to do event planning for nonprofits because I was always interested in, giving back um but i also wanted to make money at the same time and so i thought why couldn't i sort of combine the two and uh, i created dexter davis productions to do just that uh it wasn't until about a year and a half later that i was watching pbs thank god for pbs right and uh the motivational speaker les brown uh was on television doing a telethon and I had never seen a African-American motivational speaker at that point in my life. And he was saying things that really spoke to me. And, um, and I really said at that point that I really should go for or go after my dreams. And, um, and uh, a year later, I was working as a, a PA, a production assistant, on a, on, a, on a local television show. And from there, I guess the rest of you can say is history. Wow. So you 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 gathered a lot of experience with um with doing a lot of a lot of other things too that kind of tied in to the ultimate vision. Sure, I mean I think that my background in theater arts and and creative uh, you know 
the you know the creative arts really prepared me for uh, understanding that part of the business. So when I'm talking with writers or actors or directors, um, I really can have a more empathetic uh, kind of conversation with people that are you know typically not so business minded. And then the business side of things, you know, having my own production company, um, I also worked for a bank, and so I sort of understood numbers. And uh, and I just sort of combined all those things. And I thought, you know, I think I have like the perfect ingredient to you know become potential potentially. I mean, you know, um, a a successful producer and have a successful production company. So it was you know it was it was the right timing. It was you know some experience that I had, and um, at that time when I was living in San Francisco, I uh, was really uh, focused on you know learning how to uh, deal with people because I think that's a, probably the most important aspect of my job, and and that just sort of parlayed into I think what I'm doing now. Right now, that that's interesting. The, another thing that kind of um, that kind of stood out to me was um, why why Europe to um, relocate and um, do everything the startup of everything over there. Sure, sure. Well, I think um, you know when I started my first company in Los Angeles, it was called Stone Creek Entertainment. And um, you know I was developing projects that I thought could work not only in the U.S., but also around the world. And I was thinking about that because I didn't want to be pigeonholed as, you know, just the black American producer. I really wanted right. to be known as the international producer. Right. And so I thought I had gone to Europe several times as a young adult and, um, you know, felt comfortable, uh, you know, being in different places that were culturally different. And um, and just decided that, yeah, if I really wanted to set myself apart from everybody else, I really needed to go to Europe and understand the way that Europeans uh, set up films, develop films, finance films, um, how their subsidy industry uh, subsidies worked and how their tax breaks worked. So they were so far ahead of us in terms of, uh, you know, government providing uh, funding to make uh, films and television. And I thought, well, this is a viable way for me to not only learn about the international industry, but also to do something that had an advantage over my American counterparts. And so, you know, spent 10 years in Europe, Paris, London, Rome, Berlin, which I ultimately set up a, a German subsidiary. And, um, and yeah, and sort of have been, you know, sort of working under that ever since. Wow. So with with living over there and um rooting your rooting your business over there at that time how how was the culture transitioning from um America to going over there and and how was the business market yeah well i would say this i mean it was it was early 2000 so when i was really sort of starting to um you know sort of move and go and do what i was doing 9-11 happened, and so the world kind of changed, um, you know, immediately. And um, and so, you know, we had, there was a lot of sort of mixed feelings about, you know, going to war and about America's foreign policy. And so I think that, you know, it was complicated because as an American, I feel proud to be an America, but I didn't always agree with our our foreign policy. And I think that having a, a more global mindset versus a just a sort of American mindset, I was able to, you know, maneuver and navigate Europe a lot more than other Americans who might have been just sort of very, you know, American focused. Right. And the fact that I was open to the rest of the world and that I was um, more understanding that, uh, you know, the fact that we are the you know the greatest nation in the world, uh, there were other you know powerful influences in the world that uh, uh, came before us long before you know America was even America. Right. So I, I think that people sort of gravitated towards me because I had a very open mind. Uh, but we also have you know the admiration of, of Europeans and others uh, who believe that we have a kind of a uh, you know a go 
getting type of uh, uh, attitude and a, you know, by any means necessary type of mentality and that we have a skill set that, uh, you know, carries a lot of value outside of the United States. And so, you know, being African-American and, and having that kind of background really did um, actually, I think, help me more so than it hindered me. So I, you know, I, I had a great time and I, I, you know, I spoke a little bit of French. I took French in college and so I got it, you know, around fine in, um, and in Paris and London. Obviously, it's a, I speak the Queen's English, but, uh, you know, I, I speak pretty well. Um, and in Germany and Italy, you know, you know, the business of uh, film and television is very international. So, you know, everybody speaks English. And so I didn't have a problem not speaking the language because even when I tried to uh, speak German, I mean, people would switch right into English because either I had a horrible accent or they just wanted to practice their German. Right. With, with that, now I have to ask, um, does that, do you think that having that open mindset do you think that did, did that play a part in your upbringing as a child, um, being around um, different races or, or, or things of that nature? Did, do you think that that may have played a part in it as well? I think it very much did. I mean, I, I uh, was born in Greenville, Mississippi, uh, so very deep south on the Delta. Uh, my parents uh, moved away when I was a, a young boy, and we moved to San Jose, California. Um, the, the the neighborhood that I grew up in was pretty diverse. Um, uh, it wasn't as many African Americans as as we had, you know, where we had come from originally, but there was a lot of others. And the high school I went to was called Independence High School, and we had about I think forty five hundred students, right. and I think there were. I think 250 different languages spoke at my school. So you can sort of imagine the, you know, the cultural diversity there. And so I was very comfortable at a very early uh, age of being around people who were, uh, you know, different from myself in terms of uh, appearance. Uh, But, you know, having friends of of diverse backgrounds, you know, allowed me to um, not only feel comfortable, but also celebrate diversity. And I think that when you do that and you come into an environment or a culture, when you do that, I think people are more welcoming. You know, a lot of times Americans, you know, have a, a kind of a chip on our shoulders or an ego when we go abroad. And I think that when you sort of you know, lighten that up, uh, people are, are, are very much more attracted to you. Wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense, too. Um, now, you executive produced your first feature, um, The Reception, um, and it also premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2005. Um, that, that's a huge accomplishment. How was it, how was it received? W- were you nervous with actually putting out your first um film to the you know to to a crowd a different crowd and at a festival which you know you're surrounded by a lot of uh filmmakers and um producers directors how how was that feeling and and how was that received well i mean i have to tell you that i was still living in berlin at the time when that movie was made and was ultimately premiering at uh, at tribeca um I was introduced to the director a year before who had a Sundance pedigree and he um, gave me the script that uh, I thought, well, you know, I don't really like the title. Um, I don't think that it's a $2 million film, but I think that this is a $5,000 film. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much thought I was out of my mind. And I said, (laughs) listen, you know, you have this Sundance pedigree uh, Robert Rodriguez had made a film called El Mariachi for $9,000. I think that if we can get a film in a can, this was sort of at the beginning of digital filmmaking, uh, we can get a film in a can, we can get actors and other people to work on deferment, and we can beat uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, record, and I think that might cause a splash. Now, for whatever reason, I had this instinct uh, to to do that, but I also had some experience of living in Los Angeles, and before I even started my production company, I was around the business, so I knew people who were head of studios and head of production companies. I understood how distribution worked. I understood how sales agencies worked, so I understood the business before I 
even attempted to make my first feature. So when I did, it was all very natural for me. So it wasn't sort of a big deal. The big deal was I was able to come into the country and not get uh, uh, detained <laughs> like I had been for yeah. you know, every time I would come back to America after 9-11. Uh, I think people sort of thought or customs sort of thought, you know, who is this guy coming back and forth all the time? And I think it was after George's Bush, George Bush's second uh, uh, election, um, term that they sort of eased those restrictions and so every time I would come back it was a lot easier so I was surprised when I got to Tribeca but I didn't really expect that film to do much it was a small sort of chamber piece uh, film about four characters and you know again we shot it for, 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 for I'm sorry for $5,000 we ultimately put a little bit more into it for post-production and music licensing but um, but you didn't I didn't have this big expectation and because I was living in Europe I really didn't have the understanding at that time what Tribeca really was right. so I expected it to be you know you know a small screen with 10 people <laughs> <laughs> and I was shocked you know, to death, really, when I showed up and there was a red carpet and, you know, the marquee with the with the title of the film and, you know, everybody was dressed to the nines and we walked into the theater and there was a sold-out 900-seat uh, theater and they actually put it on for a couple more times and had to call the fire marshals because it was over capacity. So, really? I think for your first feature, um, you know, and it's that small, you don't have that kind of expectation if you had spent millions of dollars. But the fact that we had spent only, you know, a you know, smidget of a budget and was successful with it. I mean, we ended up selling it and getting it distributed not only in the U.S. but also overseas. But that was because I understood the the industry and knew who to sell it to and where to take it to. And and something that I advise a lot of you know filmmakers who are starting out is really get to know the 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 industry and who your you know distributors that you are going to target before the film is made to start having a conversation with them because they'll be able to tell you whether or not they're interested before you make your film and then find out they're not interested at all. So for me, it was a, a, a huge learning curve, but my expectations were not big. They were small, and I you know we got way more than I had ever imagined, and it really did launch my career. And and man, I'm you know I'm as as, as you're saying that. I'm actually like visioning myself at the festival trying to imagine the look on your face and what you were actually <laughs> thinking and experiencing and it's it's just amazing and I wasn't there but I could I could see it I can vision it as you're seeing it and I know that that inspired you to to want to to do the next project and and you went on to to do that and I think that that's so inspiring I want to ask you. you though um yeah. do you think that with with you having a lot of knowledge and studying the art and studying um the business side more before you actually stepped off into this this career path do you think that a lot of uh filmmakers um they kind of like they make a lot of mistakes by not um, maybe putting in that much work? Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think that is the case. You know, I had come from, you know, having my own business uh, at 22 years old and then working for the local network in San Francisco. Um, and so I was around, I was also volunteering uh, for the mayor of San Francisco at the time, Willie Brown and uh, our assemblywoman, uh, Carol Migdon. And so I was, you know, really, really in the know when it came to business. And I, I understood that, you know, this art form, you know, typically set aside my $5,000 film. Right. Uh, but typically it's a very expensive art form and you would require, you know, investments to get anything made. And one of the things I did not want to do is lose other people's money. And so I thought, I better learn the business first. Right. And yes, it's exciting and it's a little bit glamorous to make a movie and have it well received. But if you don't know what you're doing and you fail, you don't get a lot of opportunities to do it again. And so I thought, let's 
let's just learn all that I can. I didn't go to film school. I think that sometimes, you know, film wow. school can be just, you know, doing it yourself and experience making a film and, and there's your, there's your school, you know, just like life. Right. Uh, but, uh, in the case, uh, for me, I just thought knowing the business, how it's, you know, operates, who are the players, who are the distributors, what's an exhibitor, you know, what are the festivals for? What are the markets for? How does that work? How does our films bought and sold? How are they packaged? All of those things I learned before I even, you know, picked up my first script to make it to make a movie. And it has benefited me so much. And I think that's why I've been able to do as many films as I have in a short amount of time and then go on and do all the other things that I'm doing in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, for me, it could feel like a lifetime, but really isn't in terms of where we are right now. Wow. <laughs> How do you feel, because um, I know w with you being inside of the bubble, creating all the time, and in your creating form, um, do you ever find time to step outside of the bubble to actually look at how far you've come and look at the product as a viewer and not a creator? So I, I, I think, yes, I mean, I think you do on occasion. I know that uh, when uh, I was preparing my bio uh, recently, um, I hadn't looked at that for a while and um, thought, wow, that's some audacity. You know, I, right. I it, it, it doesn't occur to you while you're in it that you're doing some things that are perhaps history making. Um, you know, for me, it was the, the, it's been about focus. It's about doing, not talking, putting you know words into into action and making things happen. And I've sort of been on the go for a long time doing just that. But you know, from a spec spectator point of view, I mean, I have last year I decided to look at some of the you know the the, the reception and the older films, and uh, it was quite a remarkable feeling of that I had done something um, that is going to be around for a very long time and that when it's when you get to a point where you can actually sell your your film uh, or your script or get in distribution um, you know you realize that those those that content is here long after you're gone and and that's a kind of a humbling experience so it's it's the reason why I take great care in terms of how we develop content and, and what we put out into the world, because it will be here long after I'm gone. And I want, you know, my work to say something positive about me and my efforts versus, uh, you know, negative. Right. Right. Do with everything that, that, um, with being in a business for the amount of time that, that you've been in the business. Um, I know that, you've seen um, a lot of things concerning like the entertainment business, the ups and downs. Um, how do you feel about the film business atmosphere well, right you now? Know, I mean, yeah, I think I understand your question. Look, I spent a lot of time overseas and I, I still spend a lot of time, time overseas. And as an independent producer, you know, Hollywood is, wasn't something that I was really necessarily that interested in. Mm. Um, you know, I was able to put together, you know, small movies with, you know, under a million dollar budgets and, and, and cast, you know, good actors that have gone on to become, you know, very well known. Um, for me, it was about just doing the work and having that experience in Europe. And, you know, you kind of are in a cocoon uh, in some regard. And because I didn't need the permission of Hollywood or required Hollywood in terms of actors and things of that nature at that time to support the movies that we were doing, I had limited experience in terms of being uh, right there in the midst of things. Right. I mean, that's that's starting to change now because that was that's a constant a con a conscious decision for us to grow. And if we're going to grow, we do need to sort of get in bed with Hollywood, if you will. But, you know, looking at uh, Hollywood from a distance uh, was fine. And, you know, film, if you're going to festivals and market, sometimes can be a lot more um, sophisticated and cultured 
than I would say other entertainment uh, mediums. Um, and so the experience of living in Europe and traveling around the world, it, it just was not the same as living in Los Angeles. Right. I have a great appreciation for the industry. I, I love it. I wouldn't be in it if I, if I had to, uh, you know, behave badly, but, uh, yes, there's obviously a lot of that that goes on, but you know, if you uh, are grounded and you are smart about how you put together projects, uh, you can avoid a lot of that if you want to, you can also, you know, get down and dirty into it if you want that, that uh -huh. as well. And that's not something that I tend to want, you know, to be interested in. For me, it's about the work. It's about growing my company and being able to sleep well at night. Right. I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I had to ask because um, I had an email that uh, from one of your fans that wanted me to um, ask that question because they're also um, – working in the business um, on the independent side and they just wanted to know your perspective on it. I think that you answered that well. I totally agree with you with that. You continue to um, to have a lot of success with producing some great films, man. And um, the list is, is really, it's really long. And you also won... Um, it's award-winning. Now, I wanted to. I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Can you pronounce it for me? It's. Um, is it? Is is that music? Oh, um, uh, okay. Music? So you're. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the South African film that yes. I produce, which is Afrikaans, uh, music with the Atagon, and um, it's the 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 English translation is music in the background. Okay. And I was very interested in doing business in uh, in South Africa. Um, I saw it as a as a huge opportunity for me to uh, enter the African market, uh, and so it was a strategic play in terms of getting involved with an Afrikaans film. So if you know anything about South African history, uh, the the the, the language that's, that belongs to white uh, South Africans is Afrikaans, Afrikaans, and they're Afrikaner. And I wanted to sort of come into that market with a sort of peace flag, if you will, and say, look, we are very open to everybody. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm African-American, but I want to do... Uh, South African films, and that means I want to be inclusive. So our first film that we did in South Africa wasn't, in fact, an Afrikaans film. And uh, that's a funny story because I uh, had bought um, and acquired a film from uh, the director of that film uh, a couple years earlier and really trusted his, his vision, his aesthetic, and because I can't read a lick of Afrikaans, so right. that meant that I couldn't read the script. <laughs> right. Uh, so we were, you know, uh, putting in financing on on a project blindly, but it was I, I knew that the director was really talented, and I knew that I was getting involved with a production that would be, you know, well received in the South African market. Uh, from a business point of view, South African or sorry, Afrikaans films do much better in South Africa than other films. And so for us, we were successful with that, and that sort of led us to do other things, and, and, and we continue to do other things in South Africa. It's, a, it's an incredibly uh, well-skilled market. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of production that happens in South Africa that doesn't happen in the rest of the continent, and we really wanted to have a, a place a foothold in that market so that we can grow uh, with that industry. And, uh, and that's what we're doing today. Wow. That's awesome. So in 2006, you decided to bring it back to the U S and um, to distribute global films. And um, I'm just impressed with the Volkswagen deal. How did, how did you, how did you, make that happen so um i was living in london at the time when i thought about um having brands or sort of non-film entertain um non-film companies get behind the marketing of films bmw had a initiative and they were doing short films and i thought that was really cool but i thought it 
it could go a little bit further. And just one day I was uh, uh, at my you know favorite theater in Brixton in London and saw a, um, a group of trailers come on and then uh, after that the logo for Audi appeared and it said something like, you know, celebrating independent uh, films. And it was, you know, there was that moment of like clarity for me and I thought, ah, what if, you know, a car company got behind the support in terms of the distribution and marketing yeah. of foreign language films? Uh, so a couple years later, I moved to Berlin, and my best friend at the time was opening a supper club, and VW was the sponsor for the opening night. And he had a private party at his house and invited me and knew that I was interested in you know this kind of collaboration. And the person who had brokered uh, a $200 million uh, deal between VW and Universal was going to be there, and that was his contact person for uh, for his party at, and and for VW. And so we were we were introduced, and I said, you know, look, I know you guys didn't get a, you know a good deal with uh, Universal. I think I said the Americans, uh, but I think there's a better way uh, to improve your your image. And if you get involved with something cultural, uh, I think that you would you know for urban. Americans, you know, in big cities like New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, would really would really uh, be pleased that you were getting involved with foreign language films. And so, you know, I pitched them this idea, did a proposal, and they said yes. And I said, okay, it's time to leave Europe. And so I, I moved to New York, and we did our first premiere with VW, and it was great. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was you know luck and preparation and being at the right place at the right time. Um, I had only made at that time the reception, so I had not made, you know, more than one film, but we were so successful with that film, the reception, we got a great New York Times review and we won a lot of prizes around the country and around the world that it really did lend to my credibility. And I probably was more, how do I say this, um, naive about the whole situation and not realizing that I was really talking to the, you know, at that time, the biggest car manufacturer in the world right. who had, you know, billions of dollars of, uh, for advertising that I was sitting there in that, in their office in Würzburg, Germany and saying, I want you to support, you know, foreign language films in North America. And they went for it. You know, you know what I think, you know, and, and I totally agree with you on that, but you know what I think, man, I, I think that, I think that this is your purpose and I think that you are doing everything the right way. And when you're doing everything the right way and it's your purpose and the stars are lining up that way, I think that it's meant to be. So that's why that transition happened the way that it is. And I'm just sitting back listening to this remarkable story and I'm just saying to myself like, wow, you know, it, it just it's, it's so much inspiration in it. And it just makes, it gives me a feel myself like, you know what, man, like when it's your purpose and it's something that you have a passion for and you love to do, the the possibilities are endless if you put the work in and you not only was at the right place at the right time, I just think that it was meant to be. Thank you. I mean, I think there's, you know, I'm a great believer of luck, I have to say. Um, and I've had a lot of it uh, throughout my life and my career. I, you know, I feel like we're just getting started, to be honest with you. But I, I do feel like the universe has, you know, uh, made a way for me. Uh, but that's because I also have put the the work and the energy into Absolutely. everything that I'm doing. Absolutely. So, um, you know, you can't, uh, you know, make successes out of something that you're not willing to uh, put, you know, work into, I, 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 someone's once said to me, you know, the only time, uh, success comes before work is in the dictionary. And that really stood out for me because it, it, it really does ring true that we, if we, if we put the work into it and we put the energy into it, um, I, I believe that anything is possible. And so I didn't, I never looked at, um, 
any of my attributes and you know my race or anything like that as a as a negative i always thought of those things as as positives and that i should you know accentuate the things that i feel very good about myself uh, about and uh and things that uh, i didn't feel good necessarily about i would you know work on them and work on them and fix it but yeah definitely having that vision uh for yourself and being willing to make sacrifices in terms of the sweat equity i think things can happen and and we do live in a country uh you asked a question uh earlier about the difference between you know you know living in europe and perhaps how doing business where where uh was in the u.s it's very hard to start a you know a, a business in europe it's a lot of money and it's a lot of time a lot of red tape and and we can pretty much start a business in our garage and get a ein number in about right. 15 minutes on the right. internet but not in Europe. And so we have a, a mentality of small business and entrepreneurship. I mean, this is what capitalism is all about. And so, I mean, I like to say that I'm a social socialist capitalist um, because I care about, you know, people advancing. At the same time, you know, we come from a culture in which anything and everything is possible. And when you sort of apply that to your own self and you're willing to put the work behind Everything is really possible. Man, you couldn't have said it no better. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, why limit yourself? Because, like, we can, you know, we can limit ourselves. And um, would you say that you surrounded yourself around like-minded people? Do you think that that may have added increase as well? Um, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a social person but i don't have a lot of people around me and um and not because i don't like people it's it winds because i just i i have to be mindful of my time and how right. i spend my time right. but certainly yeah people who were around me or are around me are people who are you know inspirational uh people who are motivated people who uh have good intention people who want to do more in their lives. I mean, I, I just, I, I do have a bit of a discriminatory uh, side of me when it comes to people who uh, don't want much out of life. Right. Um, I don't have much time for that because I'm on the go and I got things to do. Um, you know, bless them, but, you know, it's not for me. Right. Uh, so I think that if you really want to move ahead, you need to surround yourself with people who support your endeavors, who uh, who have your back, who, um, you know, look at you not in a, any kind of jealousy way or, uh, but who are hopeful and who are, um, who are good intentioned and who want you to be successful. And so I've always, so the people who have been around me have been in fact, those kind of people and the people who, uh, who aren't those kind of folks usually don't uh, get much of my time, unfortunately. Wow. I, I love that. I really, I really love that, and I, and I love the way that you you put that. How was important? How was imp how important is it for you to continue to create different avenues to provide funding to support independent films as well as foreign films? Mm -hmm. So it's 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 very important. I mean, I tell people all the time that the best part of my job is having the ability to say yes. I, I think that, um, you know, it's easy to say no, uh, but saying yes and, and, and putting all your efforts into helping other people realize their dreams and their ambitions is something that, you know, is very, very special. When I sit in a movie theater uh, at a premiere of one of our films or at the first screening or, you know, at the rap party, what have you, I usually have to sit in the back because I feel like I'm going to be sick. I'm so nervous. And I need to be close to the doors <laughs> wow. to, to go to the bathroom if I have to. But, right, right. Um, but when you look out over that audience and you look down to where they have sort of partitioned off the, for the filmmakers and you, you know, everybody's attentively watching the movie and you know that you had your hand in that happening, there's nothing more gratifying than that particularly if it's good and no one's sort of walking out in disgust because the movie's so bad. But, um, 
But yeah, I mean, we are creating avenues where, you know, we're not looking at traditional means of financing, um, but we have created opportunities where we can work with the rest of the world to finance our, our films. And, and so that means that we can make more movies more often. Uh, we're now starting to uh, contemplate putting together a film fund so that we can, you know, crank things out faster. But yeah, I definitely want to create opportunities where people who have a vision and ideas and want to make good content, because content is still king, uh, they can come to us and we can work hard and have resources to, to do just that. Right. When you... I, I just... I just... I just want to know when when you're actually in um writing mode what what are some of the things that inspire you when you're writing because some of the stuff man that that you've done and I've I've looked at um a lot of this stuff man and I'm I'm looking at like the creative genius of it all and I'm saying to myself like what were you thinking about when you created this? Well, I think that's a really nice compliment, but I have to say that I'm not a writer. And, um, you know, I've, 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 I wrote one story that has now uh, is becoming a film, uh, and I've, I've recently written another uh, treatment for a story that I want to do in Sweden. Um, but it's, it's, it's really more about um, finding good content and good writers and good material, which is sometimes very complicated in the industry. You read a lot of bad scripts before you get to that really good right. one. Um, things that I am attracted to usually have to do with, you know, humanity and uh, why we do what we do. Um, and um, that's starting to change in terms of uh, our our vision for this company uh, and the types of genre films that we might do uh, in the very near future. But it really is about, you know, human nature and, you know, why we do what we do to each other, to ourselves, um, you know, answering sometimes the almighty question of how, because uh, I think that if you can answer that question, for, uh, you know, a multitude of, of different things, uh, you will have an audience. I mean, I think there's a natural curiosity that people have, and if they don't, they should, about who we are and where we come from. And when you're able to address those things, I think that instinctively people resonate towards those things. And so most of our stuff has been about, you know, issue, issue-driven type of stories, um, you know, not just about entertaining, but also about, you know, elevating uh, yourself and your life, uh, your perspective, where you want to go, who you want to be. Um, you know, you, we can't do that all the time because the, the business doesn't always support stuff like that. Right. We can we can continue to do that, but we also have to do more commercial viable films that really are just there to you know make you laugh, make you cry, make you feel good about the person you're sitting next to, um, and 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 take you on a journey to to places that you may want to escape to. That's your that's outside of your own reality. So it really I don't have a particular. Uh, type of story that I'm I'm attracted to in terms of you know genre, it is if it's a good story, I will most likely want to develop it and make it into a movie. Absolutely, absolutely. So what can we like? What can we look for um, this year and next year? And I know you got, I know you got some 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 big things uh, in, in in the crock pot, man. Already simmering already. So I, I, I mean, can we get the inside scoop on on what we can expect? Sure, sure. Well, as far as film goes, uh, we have a film called The Blue Mauritius, which is a, uh, a multi-million dollar heist film, international. We have uh, stars from all over the world really in this film. We have uh, Anthony Mackie's in it. Oh, that's huge. Uh, Thomas Kirschman from Germany's in it. Wow. Um, we have a French director, Camille Delamar, who did the transport, the transporter uh, refuel Brick movie. Mansion. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, very, very she's, exciting. She's dope. It's, it's she's the, really dope. You, pardon? She has done some incredible things. Who's that? I, I missed it. The, the, uh, the, the, film, the film producer that, that you're working with, um, the writer that you're working with as well, and you said her name. 
I mentioned the director, Camille, Camille Delamar. He's actually yes. he, and yes. uh, he's done some, 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 some fine oh, movies, that... sort of very European, but uh, big budget films in the vein of like Luc Besson, Luc Besson, who did the Taken films and and Wanted and uh, the Lucy film with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, so my director has worked with Luc Besson. He's no longer working with him now. He's working with me. Uh, and so that's a really incredible film because it's the first time, I think, I mean, I might be mistaken, where we have a film where you have actors from Brazil, from South Africa, from Mexico, from America, from Germany, from from Holland, uh, from France, from the U.K., all in the same film, that and it makes sense. And so that's very exciting. That's very much in the vein of Ocean's Eleven uh, type of film. And then we have a a, a father-daughter uh, con artist team uh, with uh, Jesse Williams in the lead uh, that I'm so excited about that we're shooting that uh, this summer in Atlanta. Um, I just uh, signed on recently an, another director to uh, name uh, Clemeth, um Virgo, who uh, you would know from Greenleaf, uh, uh, yeah, the, the Book of Negroes. That's big. Yeah, exactly. So he's 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 at the helm of a, a basketball, a faith-based basketball film. We're also doing in in, in South Africa in Cape Town, um, and that's very exciting. And Lecrae, I don't know uh, if you know, Lecrae has some acting chops. Yes. Uh, but Lecrae, who's the hip hop uh, yes, yes, uh, artist, big. who's you know, I think won two Grammys. Love his He's music. Uh, attached to play one of a major role in that in that film. So we're excited about about that. You know, I have a film with uh, Nima Burnett, who is you know old school uh, female director, one of the first directors, female directors to have a, a studio deal. I mean, as an African American, uh, she's worked a lot with uh, with Owen and Ava DuVernay on uh, Queen Sugar. Um, so we have you know a lot of stuff in the pipeline, and on top of that, we are building a movie studio on the south coast of South Africa. That's you know sort of my biggest project I think that will ever happen in my life. And so that is extremely exciting. Uh, that's happening in uh, uh, the province of KwaZulu-Natal, which is uh, where Shaka Zulu reigned as king. Uh, but now we are building the South Coast Film Studios there, uh, which is will have four, five sound stages, a huge um, water tank on, you know, just beautiful grounds overlooking the Indian Ocean. So a lot, a lot is going dollars. on right now, and we're extremely excited, and that's why I said earlier I feel like it's it's just starting because uh, it's taking me a while to get to this point where we're doing bigger budget films, working with Hollywood now, and, uh, you know, the, the sky is the limit, I think. Wow. I am just like, I'm, I'm, I'm very, 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 very impressed. And what I want, uh, um, you've said it, I think, like, throughout this entire interview, man. Like, you've dropped so many jewels for so many independent filmmakers and up and coming. And real real briefly, um, if you can say anything to anybody that's trying to travel um, <clears throat> on the same path that you've traveled and um, inspiring to be an up and coming um, producer, film writer, um, film director, what, what, what would you say to them for inspiration? Sure. I, I think that knowing your craft is so important. Knowing what you're doing, uh, knowing how it works, uh, the mechanics of those things are very important. You know, what, if you want to make, make movies, watch a lot, a lot of movies, right? Watch right, a lot right. of the great directors that have done great movies and have been around for a long time and have longevity. Uh, same with acting, same with writers, same with producers. You know, read books. You know, that's how I sort of got my information. It wasn't that I went to film school, like I said earlier. It was that I got, I read magazines. I, I, I read industry trades. I, I read books by uh, filmmakers uh, that, you know, of that time were doing great things and making great movies. So I was really arming myself with, with knowledge and information. And when you have that and then you have the drive, nothing really can stop you. I think that people tend to want and to be an overnight success 
more often than not. And it really just doesn't work that way. Even those people that we think were overnights probably struggled for many, many years before you even got to know their name. But it seemed like they just hit the, you know, the marketplace and suddenly they were a big success. It doesn't always work that way. But if you, if you know what you're talking about, and you, you you need to you know this this game is about raising money and 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 taking big risk and people are not going to do that if you don't know your business and so um, you know I could say that from a spiritual point of view is trusting in God and trusting in the universe uh, and that is not to be diminished whatsoever but you have to also trust in yourself and 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 and, and arm yourself with with information and knowledge that you can then go forward and do what it is that you were brought to the planet to do. Wow. Mr. D, man, I just want to say I, I really, really, really enjoyed this interview. I've learned so much more about you because I've done my homework, I've done my research, and I was very, very impressed and that's why I wanted to highlight you and bring light. Um, and I wanted my listeners and your fans and um, new fans that you've acquired now to know what the great things that you're doing out here um, for the culture and, and for the world. And I'm very, very honored to have you on my platform. And I want to thank you again. And I'm wishing you more success on all of your endeavors. Man, I appreciate that so much. It was an honor talking to you as well. And I hope we get to do it again. Absolutely. Listen, what I would like to is whenever you 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 want to come back on the show and you want to um, display anything or promote anything, any amazing project that you have going on, um, because, you know, when people, when guests come on the show, I build, uh, this is a forever relationship and I think sure. that we all need to continue to work together to utilize all each other's platforms in order to bring increase and bring awareness and, and to provide the culture with the best content. And it takes all of us working together, um, one big network pool in order to do that. So I'm very, very honored to have met you, to have you on my platform and um, to continue to grow. Thank you. Anytime. That's what I'm here for. Absolutely. It's the Vibe Show Podcast with your boy Kano the Don, the Vibe King, and my special guest, King Mr. Dexter Davis. We are out.